with or without God. The latest Alcoholics Anonymous membership survey from Great Britain identifies how many members are religious and how many are secular. Today on episode 69 of Rebellion Dogs Radio, we look at our more enlightened understanding of AA members, at least a significant sample size. The findings from the Great Britain 2020 AA membership survey plus English-speaking Central European members. This modernism in AA has inspired us to take a broader look at progress being made in AA today. And it's worth viewing both sides. So we also look at fundamentalism in AA, why it isn't so excited about making changes, what the payoff is for being a fundamentalist. I think that's important to understand. Uh, but anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to say thanks for joining in. For some of you, you've got something to say on this subject. I know you do, and I would love to hear from you. Some of you have been following this Rebellion Dogs blog and podcast for 10 years. Maybe you're listening on Apple Music or Spotify, Podcast Addict, Stitchers, Buzzsprout, or wherever your favorite podcast hub might be. This could be your first episode. We'd love to hear from you, too. Some will follow a link passed along on social media or have clicked listen right from the rebelliondogspublishing.com website. So however you got here, thanks for being here. Some wily regulars will already have clicked on the downloadable PDF version of what we're about to cover because it makes it easier to follow if you got it printed in front of you. Or maybe they like to skip ahead, or they can read faster than I can talk. It matters not. If you want the show notes, press pause. I won't be offended. Or multitask and listen and scroll at the same time, googling Rebellion Dogs Radio Episode 69 or Rebellion Dogs 2020 AA Membership Survey, or just do it later. Rebellion Dogs Radio is a contemporary look at life in recovery, addiction, mental health, and sober culture, now with less dogma and more bite. A lot of podcasts I like, I listen to twice. It helps me absorb what I might have missed in a once-over. RebellionDogsPublishing.com is a hub also. Stuff I've written, stuff I love reading, links, resources, time wasters things and events that are coming up. If you go to rebelliondogspublishing.com on a regular basis, everything done or coming up should be there. Music. Now, my podcasting and broadcasting history predates this show about addiction and recovery. Indie Can Radio was an indie music broadcast uh, heard on college radio, Sirius XM. So we always have a musical component for episode 69. Um, a treatment counselor I work with in the Zoom aftercare is uh, a counselor by day, a singing bass player and rock and roller by night, Lucy DeSanto. She's been on this show before, if you go back into the archives, talking about addiction, recovery, and rock and roll. Acid Test, formerly signed to label Sire Records, 
who remembers records and on on check uh, episode 41 with lucy if you want to hear more about that so dan and steve and lucy they're on they've been recording during the pandemic they have been on tour for all of august i'll feature something at the end of the show from their second record I love uh, female-fronted acts. Remember Garbage, Hole, Portishead, Tricky, The Cranberries, Alanis Morissette, Shania Twain, Sinead. Oh, man. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm leaving so many out. Lucy, I think, grew up on a diet of Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson, because I think On sounds like a female-fronted Smashing Pumpkins. Maybe it's just me. You be the judge. Anyway, we'll get to that later in the show. We're going to talk about the Great Britain 2020 Membership Survey findings. So in the UK, they asked members of AA about a number of things. It includes demographic shifts through the five-year intervals that they do this thing. So it tells us how AA is changing. Today's focus, an all-new reveal about AA from the 2020 survey. It's about what members believe. This is going to be great. Let me ask you, do you believe in a higher power? Okay, now for those who do, is your higher power religious or secular? This is exactly what the 2020 AA Membership Survey asked Britons and English-speaking Europeans. The results have been reported. Results reveal a diversity in AA that will surprise some. It's the first time this question has been added to the quinquennial survey. Other questions are the same as they've been for 50 years. Your age, length of sobriety, etc. We have a snapshot of a sizable segment of membership that reflects AA this decade. This question about worldview, I think it's an important question. I think it would be helpful to add it to the demographic questions we already ask members about in the United States and Canada in our triennial membership survey. What do we believe on this side of the Atlantic, where over half of AA members are? I think we should ask. Do you agree? Is there any reason we shouldn't ask? We didn't know about Britons, and now we do, so we're better off in anticipating members' wants and needs when we know our demographics. Since 1980, a newcomer asks, it's a pamphlet, which also came from the UK. It explains that members stay sober with or without a higher power, and how people define this agent of change varies greatly. Some relate to an anthropomorphic supernatural force. For others, it's more down-earth. The exact quote in the pamphlet or leaflet is, the majority of AA members believe that we have found the solution to our drinking problem not through individual willpower, but through a power greater than ourselves. However, everyone defines this power as they wish. Many people call it God. Others think it's the AA group. Still others don't believe in it at all. 
For decades now, a newcomer asks, rightly explains AAs as having diverse worldviews, with no suggestion or advantage or disadvantage for one worldview versus another, wherein the 1980 leaflet or pamphlet from the UK qualified the inclusivity of AA members. Now the 2020 survey in Great Britain quantifies who believes this, who believes that, is the big book no human power could have relieved our alcoholism, a widely held belief, or merely Bill W.'s worldview. As the report to the Great Britain General Service Conference states, the aims of the membership survey are to A, carry the message to professionals, and B, help inform the General Service Conference for future decision-making. This survey came from members of an estimated 4,661 Great Britain weekly AA meetings and 723 English-speaking Central European region meetings. Survey says, the 2020 membership survey reports that two-thirds of AAs manage fine with an irreligious or a secular AA sobriety. Still, a full third hold a religious or supernatural notion of what's going on for them in AA, Allah, Yahweh, Shiva, the Creator, a nameless, vague God of one's understanding, or even a higher power beyond our understanding. So let's look at survey highlights reported to the Great Britain General Service Conference of AA. The highlights of the Great Britain AA Membership Survey of 2020 were reported by non-alcoholic trustee Manny Medicani of the Great Britain General Service Conference. Dr. Medicani is a clinical psychologist at Greater Manchester West NHS Medical Health Foundation Trust. AA in the UK has conducted surveys every five years since 1972. Questions have changed over time. So the two new questions this year, or 2020, what role does the concept of higher power play in members' recovery? And two, how do members qualify power greater than yourself as defining spirituality? Regarding worldview, Here's what we asked and here's what the results were. Are you spiritual? 91% say yes, 9% no. Do you have a higher power? 95% yes, 5% no. Is your higher power religious? 35% answered religious. Is your higher power secular? 65% answered secular. Mind the gap. Let's look at how newcomers and long-timers differ in their answers. There's a difference between newcomers to AA and how they express themselves and or what they believe versus members with double-digit years of AA experience. The General Service Board calls this difference significant. Of members sober for no more than 12 months, 78% identified themselves as being spiritual. For members with more than 10 years in AA, 94% use the word spiritual to describe themselves. The overall average is 91%. So newcomers who say they believe in a higher power, that's 
but at double-digit sobriety, AAs weigh in at 94%, having a higher power, the overall average being 95 So along with the third of members, or 35%, that describe their higher power as religious, and two-thirds of uh, Britons as describing their higher power as secular, there were 6% who stated that their higher power was both religious and secular. For rank-and-file 12-step members like us, some will be dissatisfied with the GSO service findings. We feel teased and want to wade deeper into the minutia. What do you mean by religious? How do you define secular? I admit I'm one who wants more detail, more specific questions. These are natural questions for regular AA members that will get talked about in coffee shops, meetings, podcasts, and other social media. Yeah, about that. Meeting my needs is a secondary purpose of the AA membership survey. Public information is the primary purpose of collecting the data, creating a snapshot of AA membership. It's for outreach to professionals, agencies, and the general public. The focus is what professionals need to know, healthcare or justice system workers, therapists, employee assistance workers, researchers, reporters, and just people who want to know more about AA. Survey results are posted in the For Professionals page of the General Service website in Britain. The public are not as captivated by the nuances of AA's individual or collective beliefs in the way that rank-and-file members might be. Our survey shows the target audience some basics. How important are meetings, steps, service work? And now it shows people what we believe. Well, I see three possibilities. On average, newcomers are younger compared to members 10 years sober or more, and the gap could be a generational gap. Youth are less religious than people 60 plus. Or two, skeptical newcomers reporting here are yet to have an AA conversion experience. By their 10th anniversary, they too will be in the camp. Yes, I was lost, but now I am found. Not sure, but possible. And third, only the newcomers who either already talk in a higher power spiritual experience type of language or those that are easily assimilated into this AA speak. These are the only ones that stick it out in AA for 10 years or more. Those who find higher power talk alienating or superstitious, they may just leave AA. You surely can add to these explanations what your theory about why newcomers and long-timers report differently to the same questions. I'd like to hear about it. The Brits have not asked about higher power in previous surveys, so we can't compare this year's answers to how they felt five years ago or 10 or 20 years ago. Now, how does the AA worldview from this survey compare to Britain's beliefs as a whole? For context, let's look at the YouGov 2020 survey of British population. Four in 10, 41% of Britons believe there is neither 
a god or a higher power? Younger generations are less theistic. 50% of 25 to 39-year-olds and 45% of 16 to 24-year-olds are non-believers, compared to only 32% of 60-plus Brits are non-believers. Quarter of religious people, 23% exactly, say their religion is very important. Four in 10, 42% of those who belong to a particular religion say religion does not play an important part in their lives. What people believe, that's not obvious based on how each of us self-identify. While 55% of Britons are not religious, we can't assume that the religious members all believe in higher powers. From the survey, 34% who identify as Christians and 7% from another religion. Now, of these Christians, 10% of that 34%, they don't believe in God or a higher power. For some, it seems Christianity is a a cultural touchstone to which one identifies, not a worldview. Not all Christians agree that conforming to a supernatural belief or taking biblical stories literally is an absolute rule for being a Christian. We've got secular Jews, secular Buddhists, secular Hindus, and of course, why wouldn't we also have secular Christians? An atheist might scratch their head over someone who calls themselves a godless or agnostic Christian. So what? Why would a Christian care what atheist's definition of being a Christian is? AA didn't invent the idea, you know, of take what you like and leave the rest. It's been around a while. I'm looking at this not strictly for the eye-opening demographic facts, but how new data will inform AA members. Does this comfort the inflicted? Do these facts inflict the comfortable? Will people react or mobilize, and in what way? The survey is interesting enough to me on its own, but what about context? A valuable mentor uh, to me and to many, Ernie Kurtz, would say, tell the story in context. Let your readers know what else is going on, what events and happenings are proliferating. So the context, survey findings in the bigger picture. What other data or information would be informing AA stewards in Europe? Are records of declining AA membership, for example, over the decades a cause for concern? Is there a connection between these two data points, a decline in AA members and a sizable number of secular members. I don't know Great Britain or English-speaking European membership numbers specifically. If anyone listening or reading can help out here, let me know. But I do know about America versus Canada and international, which is everything outside of USA and Canada. These numbers in this way are reported in Box 459 News and Notes from GSO every year. So let's look at some comparisons so far this millennium. International members, 
at the turn of the century in the year 2000 were 666 413 members. In 2021, membership was 573 789 members. That's a drop of 92,623 members, or 14%. In the U.S., there was 1.161 million members at the turn of the century, and it rose to 1.4381 million members by 2021. And that's an increase of over a quarter million, 276,817, 24% more members in the United States now than there was at the turn of the century. And Canada is more like the internationals. There were 97,504 members in the year 2000. In 2021, it had dropped to 86,790. That's 10,700 less or 11% less. So the USA up 24% of members. Canada down 11%, all others, international, down 14%. While AA grows nicely in the U.S., adding over a quarter of a million members since the turn of the century, which is higher than the population increase in the States, which was 18% over the same period. And outside the States, Canada and internationals, AA is bleeding members, international AA members to which Great Britain and English-speaking European groups are included are 14% less than they were 21 years ago. While the World Health Organization raises the alarm over rising alcohol use disorder as one of the leading preventable deaths and root causes of 200 types of disability or health risks worldwide, attendance in the best-known, free, no-waiting-list or referral needed intervention for alcohol problems, that membership is in a state of decline everywhere but the U.S. AA in Canada, down 11%, 14% decline outside of Canada, USA. If indeed UK membership, like anywhere that isn't USA, is a membership in decline, could their GSO be concerned about how and why our AA message isn't resonating with newcomers today. What makes America more fertile for AA to grow? In the USA, people find hope in the AA promise, God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. As we have seen in our Euro data, most of our experiences are of the educational variety. While we've tried to get ourselves sober, quit forever, etc., AA's common denominator is that abstinence could not have happened to ourselves by ourselves alone. Secular members point to the AA process, the AA people, something more humanist as the AA active ingredient. Help was needed, but it was not an anthropomorphic higher power. While American believers are on the decline, religiously inclined members still make up the majority of Americans. Many American atheists recognize religiosity in U.S. culture. Are Americans more 
predisposed to be touched by the hand of God or think they are? Are they more predisposed to religious talk? Ranking 148 countries in terms of what percentage of citizens do hold a religious or supernatural worldview. Here's how the jurisdictions uh, compare. The United Kingdom is 140th out of 148 in the most religious countries, eighth from the bottom, 25% are theists. Canada is 121st, 42% are believers. The U.S., where over half of AA lives, is 104th, with 69% of Americans believing in gods. Does AA popularity require a religious culture? At different rates, in different places, shifts away from belief in God are the trend. Should the USA AA community wake up and smell the irreligiosity? Maybe the decline in Canada and internationally is a foreshadowing of what may come in the USA's AA membership. American society sees AA in context to a growing secularity. AA is regarded in several Ninth Circuit court rulings to be religious. In the face of the wording in our 12 steps, courts are not buying were spiritual, not religious, as a rebuttal. Currently in New York State, a bill is on the governor's desk for signing into law, Senate Bill S7313A ensures defendants the right to complete court-ordered alcohol or substance use treatment in a non-religious treatment program. What is meant by religious treatment program, if not 12-step facilitation? How much of AA's growth in the U.S. is referred to us through the healthcare and criminal justice system by our USA-Canada membership survey of 2014, by our last membership survey in 2014 in Canada and the U.S., 33% of us came from courts, health cares, jail, etc. What if that tap runs dry or is severely restricted? In 2009, I wrote an article in AA Grapevine asking if our early 20th century Alcoholics Anonymous was as impactful on the 21st century newcomer as it once was. Hey, they printed my article. <laughs> they called it overhaul. While they did publish this member's taking inventory of our current literature offerings, for whatever cautionary editorial motive, they felt they added this factoid at the end of the essay. Editor's note. Over the years, AA has hotly debated whether to update the books written by Bill W. The General Service Conference discussed changing the big book in 1995 and the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions in 2002, both times voting to keep the basic text as it is. There's a link on our website or podcast page where you can listen to Overhaul if you want to from aagrapevine.org. In the USA, 
maybe in Canada too, we've comforted the change-adverse traditionalists in the language we use and the actions we take. Our General Service Conference went along with reifying the words of Bill W., as Grapevine reminded us in the 2009 article overhaul. But sometimes it goes the other way. In previous blogs, we've discussed if while AA as a whole is growing, secular AA is it the fastest growing subculture within our ranks. So member groups not needing vetting or approval are offering meetings with readings and rituals suited to a more secular crowd. AA as a whole is bending towards change. As reviewed and agreed upon by our General Service Conference, the next printing and the PDF that you can read online right now of the 12 and 12, we'll see some member-led changes to the language of Bill Wilson. The 1950s notion of rape being an act of lust is now widely understood as being a criminal act, a violent act. Heteronormative biases don't suit our next generation of AA stewards either, so we change that as well. The text on page 66, which previously read, no one wants to be angry enough to murder, lustful enough to rape, gluttonous enough to ruin his health, has been revised to read. No one wants to commit the deadly sins of anger, lust, or gluttony. Better, <laughs> not what I would pick, but I gotta hand it to them. It's an improvement. The text on page 117, which read, Nearly every sound human being experiences at some time in life a compelling desire to find a mate of the opposite sex with whom the fullest possible union can be made. This has been revised to read, Nearly every sound human being experiences at some time in life a compelling desire for a partner. So the effort to work towards a more contemporary AA language, as we have seen with the 12 and 12 changes, that's in motion right now. Would you have rewritten the 12 and 12 differently than they did? Maybe you would, I would have. But the point is, between 2009, when they put that grapevine comment about this will never change, and now progress is being made. Progress not perfection. In Great Britain, one stated purpose of membership surveys is to help inform future decision-making. Would Britons be alone if they look to modernize the discussion about a secular or more inclusive AA narrative? Within the USA, our growing irreligious population would say American members and groups should be at the table to discuss if a big book approach to AA in its current form is optimal, passable, or hindering our efforts to effectively respond when anyone anywhere reaches out for help. Parity of a secular AA message does not mean replacement of what is still loved and cherished. An additive approach may be wiser than a 
this slow practice of rewriting a few sentences each year. If the drain of membership known to Britons and other jurisdictions is a concern and efforts to change our narrative towards a more contemporary language are put into motion, physics and society both would anticipate an equal and opposite force or reaction, resistance to the modernization in AA. Resistance? AA fundamentalism hides in plain view. We placate literalists. We do not want to offend or anger them. Now, to be clear, not everyone who disagrees with change is a fundamentalist. Not everyone who believes in God is a fundamentalist either. So can we talk about fundamentalism in 12-step fellowship terms? First, how is fundamentalism characterized more broadly? Orthodoxy in AA is natural. A concern for preserving AA is functional and it works along with modernity. Fundamentalism is dysfunctional. It treats agents of change as evildoers. Preserving the integrity of the message is the orthodox yang sharing a symbiotic relationship to the gateway widening in in a healthy and functional AA. Orthodoxy and progressiveness coexisting, that's pluralism. Fundamentalism in AA, by definition, is threatened by pluralism. Given equal time and legitimacy to a modern AA narrative, is it's viewed as an existential threat. Fight mode is one predictable reaction to fear of having one's sacred text challenged. When it comes to groups working together to conduct the business of AA as a whole, functionally, you have to get deep into the weeds of AA stewardship into concept five of the 12 concepts of AA World Service to understand both tyranny of the majority and tyranny of the minority. It says in there, the greatest danger to democracy would be the tyranny of an apathetic, self-seeking, uninformed or angry majority. Only a truly dedicated citizenry, quite willing to protect and conserve minority rights and opinions could guarantee the existence of a free and democratic society. All around us in the world today, we are witnessing the tyranny of majorities and even worse, tyrannies of very small minorities invested with absolute power. So that's page 24 of 12 Concepts of World Service. We link to it at rebelliondogspublishing.com. While fundamentalist AA is a minority, it's well-organized, it's motivated, and it's vocal. Fundamentalism is already a tyranny of the minority that has frustrated progress in AA. Others will argue we're still in balance, despite frustration expressed both in our more liberal and conservative corners. We're still keeping it going. 12-step fellowships are not a zero-sum game with just one side left standing. Our first tradition is unity. 
if the founders meant uniformity, they would have cautioned the individual welfare depending on uniformity. Bill Wilson thought better of it. He could see that we, with all of our contrary views, beliefs, and experiences, had to look out for and honor each other. Burning everything to the ground and starting over is not the one road to change and growth. Also, railing against change is not a path to an AA that maintains or grows in the relevance of the recovery community as a whole. It's not about this or that so much, I don't think, as it is about adding voices, bringing more voices to the table as needed in the AA conversation. I recommend, if you haven't already indulged, to listen to Jackie B's talk about generous orthodoxy. Find it in the show notes. Fundamentalism would not exist if it didn't have a payoff. What's the payoff? Anyone who wants to exemplify love and tolerance of others as our code, you might want to, or I might want to, we might want to, walk a mile in the big book thumper's shoes. Fundamentalism offers freedom from uncertainty and connection with kindred spirits as expressed from Frontiers in Psychology 2018. And there's six points here. Fundamentalism offers infallible belief or principles that provide guidance regarding how to obtain salvation. Two, fundamentalists believe in the superiority of their teachings and in a strict division between righteous people and evil doers. Three, this belief system regulates thoughts, but also all conceptions regarding the self, other, and the world. It's a meta-belief, a worldview that directs what to do in various particular situations and how to live in general, providing a sense of coherence and control, reducing ambiguity about the world. Four, an increased subjective feeling of control, but that it also fosters self-regulation and more specifically self-control. Five, in order to behave virtuously, such as avoiding vice or sin, self-control is necessary. Fundamentalism is positively related to temptation resistance, the endurance of discomfort, the ability to delay gratification and response accuracy. And six, fundamentalism provides individuals with a sense of meaning in life and it offers relief from the distress of uncertainty. See, it ain't all bad. Who wouldn't want some of that? All 12-step fellowship members crave certainty, embracing wellness ahead of overindulgence. A literal approach to AA does achieve this, absolutely. It's a winning formula. And so does take what you like and leave the rest approach. So it's not one has to uh, win over the other. We need to understand the upside of fundamentalism and why this manic certainty feels so good and would be worth fighting for.
In Psychology Today, Dr. Jeremy E. Sherman in Fanaticism is a Disease Like Alcoholism, speaking right to us, he says, Fanatics are people who indulge in a heady, intoxicating, and toxic concoction of self-affirming, know-it-all confidence that they have unique access to absolute truths, truths so perfect that they have to impose them on everyone. Fanaticism is a drug where fanatics say, I reasoned once, came to the absolute truth, and don't have to reason again. Science, a practical practice we can learn to apply well beyond the lab, admits there's no last word, just today's best guesses to be improved upon through ongoing inquiry. Sustained reason is just the hard work that addiction to fanaticism frees us from. No wonder fanaticism is so intoxicating. Being a know-it-all provides such powerful pain relief. Bit of a dopamine rush too, I'm quite sure. <laughs> What's the fear or threat that 12-step fundamentalists want to inoculate themselves from? How about the terror of an always lurking existential threat, an ever-present, progressive, incurable, and fatal ailment, whereby good people working a good program can still relapse? Putting one's faith in 164 pages of closure and certainty could be the powerful pain relief that psychology today referred to. Like a family with an addict, in a fellowship with fundamentalism, the whole of the family cannot function with ease. The addict does not think they have a problem. We're the problem, not them. Extremism is like addiction. Extremists are compelled to interfere with progress. They demand compliance with a certain view and a certain practice of AA and frustrate efforts to widen our gateway with contemporary approaches. Fundamentalism is prevalent in a big book approach, but it's not relegated to a faith healing membership in 12-step recovery. Irreligious 12-step fundamentalism is an equally dysfunctional force as religious 12-step fundamentalism. One's a majority and one's a minority, but still both of these extremes, both of these tyrannies of minorities is contemptuous, lacking in our AA code. Love and tolerance of others is our code. The opposite of fundamentalism isn't secularism, nor is it modernism. The opposite of fundamentalism in AA is pluralism in AA which ironically makes room for fundamentalism. <laughs> Pluralist society coexisting with fundamentalism as well. It's pluralism. That's what it means. Everyone is equal and free to express themselves with candor. While fundies may hold a rigid view of AA, that's fine at their meetings and other gatherings. It does not invite 
their closely held views to veto our collective agenda. 12-step culture is imperfect, but tolerant and inclusive. We are a tapestry. Our primary purpose, stay sober and help other addicts find recovery. In functional 12-step recovery, with recovery as the focus, there's plenty of room for both supernatural and secular expressions all along both of the extremes. But while being all kumbaya about liberal democracy, being naive doesn't help either. Looking at fundamentalism in 12-step recovery, does fundamentalism render AA or the larger 12-step community powerless to evolve and thrive? There exists a religious fundamentalism scale. Read Britannica Online. On this religious fundamentalism scale, there are four precepts or dimensions. I, I've played with the words only slightly just uh, to maintain the core meaning, but speak in a more AA-like uh, language. So here's the four. One, the belief that there is a single set of teachings containing the fundamental, basic, intrinsic, inerrant truth about God, mankind, and addiction. Two, the essential truth stands in opposition to evil, which must be actively fought. Three, the truth is to be followed in our current day according to the fundamental practices of the past. And four, people who succeed in following these steps exactly as described in the book Alcoholics Anonymous have a special relationship with God. Let's borrow these four precepts allocated to fundamentalism and see how it plays out in our fellowship. Precept one was the belief that there is a single set of teachings containing the fundamental, basic, intrinsic, inerrant truth about God, people, and addiction. Primacy of this sort of big book culture and fundamentalism in AA are correlated. AA Fundamentalism 101. We have a text that is the collective infallible principle that provides guidance regarding how to obtain salvation. And it provides individuals with a sense of meaning in life, that it offers relief from distress and uncertainty. Look at how it works. How it works tries to do that. Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling power. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. No human power could have relieved our alcoholism. God could and would if he were sought. What we hear about today in terms of big book inherent truths is not how a cornerstone of 1940s AA really looked. Book-based AA is a post-founder, modern history AA reality. It seems to have taken root in the mid to late 1980s and found this veto-like power over modernization until around 2015 or so. 
so I think we're past it. Several gentle forces sparked a return to the middle. Uh, more secular AA groups, millennials moved from newcomers to service positions, taking 12-step recovery to the internet. Big book sales dropped out of the 1 million copies every year status. So they, uh, the primacy started to uh, give way to a many paths approach. AA is more regional than homogenous, while fundamentalism has a grip on local AA culture in some communities, in other places, it never did. So it depends where you live. In my own place and time of early sobriety, I don't remember anyone telling their own story with injections of, as the big book tells us on page blah, blah, blah. Now, if you think I'm unique, just listen to older AA recordings. Clancy I, when he was speaking to members in the 70s and 80s, or 60s, 70s and 80s, listen to some of those recordings. Sybil C., the first woman west of the Mississippi, listen to how she got sober in early AA. Clancy and other popular speakers did not borrow from the book to legitimize their stories. You gotta connect to the cassette tape era of AA storytelling. Now, I didn't take it too seriously when a lot of the meetings around where I lived became big book study meetings and they were having Joe and Charlie weekends and, you know, Cocaine Anonymous and they're hailing the big book and all that. However, just outside AA's doors, in the USA, uh, well, Jerry Falwell's myth of the moral majority spawned a fear-based Christian revival that wasn't there before. Conservatism, punctuated by Ronald Reagan in the United States, Margaret Thatcher in the UK, Brian Mulroney in Canada, this dominated the 1980s. Did conservatism in society inform a nostalgia for AA of old in, in our rooms. As ubiquitous as the big book has been in the first two decades of the 21st century, the book that bears our fellowship's name was not a million seller until the author had been dead and buried and immortalized. Bill's book was in print 34 years. It was 1973 before ever reaching the 1 million uh, books sold level. From 1973's milestone, 14 years later, they'd be selling 1 million books each and every year, popularizing this big book reading meetings and these weekend retreats. Early signals of big book primacy came with more and more members describing addiction and recovery by directly quoting from the first 164 pages, which is Bill Wilson's first three years of sobriety. To quote page and verse was to borrow authority. The idea of authority in AA was not previously appreciated in AA culture, individual expression would come to be rebutted with, well, on page X of the big book, we are told why. 
in this regard, the big book was intended as a conversation ender, the one and true view of addiction, the alcoholic and God trumping free thought in the rooms. More and more members were encouraged to talk in big book language, and this all drew conclusions where very quickly the culture appeared that AA was the book, the book was AA. You couldn't have this without that. Did I mention assimilation? Meanwhile, while all this was going on, all this uh, sort of conservatism, Hollywood Star Trek The Next Generation was offering a Gen X view of our world, growing in viewership, in lockstep with big book thumpings, early timeline. Next Gen introduced us to a new threat, an antagonist in the universe, the Borg, cybernetic organism linked to a hive mind called the Collective. The Borg's purpose to forcibly assimilate others into their own homogenized purpose, a quest to perfection. Individual Borgs are referred to as drones and move in a robotic, purposeful style, ignoring most of the environment, giving them a zombie-like appearance. Borg says, prepare to be assimilated. Resistance is futile. Now, loving me some big book, and the prayer-answering sobriety-granting czar of the universe offered to us by Bill W., that it is not at all in itself fundamentalism. My way of getting sober is better than your way of getting sober is just tribalism. That's why for fundamentalism, precept two has to also be present. And that is, this essential truth stands in opposition to evil, which must be actively fought the evil in precept two is threats to the fundamentalist desire for closure and certainty. To suggest in any way that our sacred writings are literally inherent truths that somehow we can't improve upon uh, what God so declared. You know, the idea that maybe we should rewrite the big book. This is like declaring a war on God. How dare you? And those on a mission from God, the one true God, this mission comes with boundless confidence and energy for rallying to prevent changes to AA's big book. Orthodox members will have concerns about maintaining the integrity of AA's message. There is an argument for preserving the integrity of a historical document. I'm on side with that. Can a preserve the history argument find compromise? Could a yes and solution solve our gridlock? Could we keep the original text as is and create a new text with equivalency to help and explain the AA way to today's newcomer? That's a bad joke for fundamentalists. See precept one, but I think it's workable. Fundamentalism needs a foil. They need evil to fight. Meanwhile, back in Great Britain, 
membership findings that legitimize a secular recovery, a human power that can restore us to sanity, may be labeled by some as the silver-tongued devilish temptation of evildoers. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth is already in the big book. Everything else that does not fit the narrative, well, that is the constant evil that fundamentalists fight to shield themselves and the vulnerable newcomers against. I can picture that somewhere the revelation of a majority of AAs being secular unabashedly could be evil enough to raise some fuss amongst fundies. With empathy, we can see how our big book fans or fanatics, these fellows, equal voices, they're not weaving the same tale that I am. They have their own story. And in their story, they're the hero protagonist, and science and skepticism is the antagonist, sustained reason, as described above in the Psychology Today article, or this 2020 GSO survey talk could be just the precept to evil that spurs reaction, all part of a constant threat to their unique access to absolute truth, Fight mode is understandable to someone who thinks this way. Someone is trying to take the, again, fundamentalism or fanaticism-like addiction to take the fix away. Study of fundamentalism exposes common tenets or problems that they in turn promise to overcome. Sensitive to distress and uncertainty, a sense of coherence and control, a need for closure, a desire for clear and certain explanations. Craving order and clarity is as human as seeking comfort. As people with addiction, we can all appreciate wanting more and more of it. Crossing an invisible line, extremists go from this works for me to this is the absolute truth. Getting high on absolute truth who among us could not imagine our own neurotransmitters firing when the one perfect truth we rely on is under threat? And if you or I or anyone else were in Bill W.'s shoes, compelled to write a book codifying this amazing three or four years of AA, who wouldn't be touched with a little of the good old-fashioned righteousness of the recently converted. The common threats or evils that big book fundamentalists oppose are uh, fivefold. Treatment talk, a progressive language from the more will be revealed camp. Secularism, a growing movement inside and outside AA that legitimizes godless recovery and non-theistic or non-big book narratives of AA progress. Number three, AA pamphlets or the book Living Sober, the General Service Conference, any watering down of the first 164 pages that fundamental, basic, intrinsic, and inherent truth 
four would be therapeutic-assisted recovery, including medical and clinical interventions that aid and accelerate sobriety, trauma-informed or other contemporary approaches to addiction recovery, and five, academic scientific study of recovery outcome rates, AA and all the others, randomized control of longitudinal studies, and other uh, contemporary findings. I call these five categories, I don't know, maybe there's more adversaries or evils as described in precept two, because these are what are constantly berated by fundamentalists. Claims are made as to why these not in the first 164 pages inferior attempts to help are out of touch or in denial or only work with people who aren't real alcoholics. Any alternative narrative is an enemy. So we ask, how will fundamentalists look at the Great Britain AA findings revealing who is religious and who is secular? While it's easy enough to dismiss a single or a few cases of atheists staying sober in AA as heavy drinkers who only think they're real alcoholics, saying the same about two-thirds of European AA members, um, well, that might present a new challenge. The promise of AA fundamentalism is this. All has been revealed. There is a master plan. Recovered means no risk of relapse, so long as one adheres to the fundamentalist one true idea, an all-knowing, all-powerful God, not a doorknob God, <laughs> the other guy. The price of the freedom or liberty that fundamentalism offers from doubt and relapse is the willingness to actively fight evil. In AA terms, that's plurality, a plurality that's crept in and threatened our peaceful, one true recovery oasis. Precept three, the truth is to be followed in our current day according to the fundamental practice of the past. What is known about these so-called fundamental practices of the past? Did Bill W. take sponsees through the book? Did Dr. Bob? Not seen in any historic records, it stands to reason that the premise of the big book being the single set of teachings containing the fundamental, basic, intrinsic, inherent truth wasn't exactly how AA was going on in New York or in Akron, not in the early years. This primacy of one message and one messenger all came as with all fundamentalisms, from the man with a message touched by the hand of God to do one last important thing, uh, die. <laughs> Bill Wilson had to die before he could be, uh, you know, relegated to Messiah type of status. Big Book Mania, the peak of it was maybe in the 90s. It grew in the 80s. It grew in the 90s, with the mania that came with Cocaine Anonymous gatherings, Joe and Charlie weekends, 
This accelerated a folklore of big book sponsors, book learning, and uh, one primary purpose. Of course, recovery from following the directions as laid out in the book Alcoholics Anonymous has proven to be effective. You know, what they're promoting does work. But to create a buzz, we needed a story about how the fundamental roadmap offered a 75% success rate and all other imposters were inferior. So the myth of all other modern medical therapeutic approaches floundering in single-digit recovery rates, that really added to the story. In the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous, a claim is made without footnotes of those who came to AA and really tried. 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainders, those who stayed on showed improvement. Some early groups kept tallies on successes and failures. But were these members who were recording AA history statisticians? That does not mean it's true or false, whether they are or they're not. Did AA get them sober, or did they get sober first and then join AA? In some accounts, alcoholics had to be sober. They had to praise be to Jesus before they were counted as an AA member. This was pre-Tradition 3, of course. The story today is that the big book and big book sponsors of early AA, they had a track record that beats all treatment centers. Book-based learning works, absolutely. While it's easy to critically deconstruct this fundamentalist approach as it being the one and only superior recovery process. Skepticism is not proof that big book study is inferior. It's not even proof that fundamentalism does not produce better outcome rates. The big book promises are coming true in the lives of their members. Just ask them. The point here is that we do not know scientifically what best practices are within AA fellowships or the broader recovery community. I see many great examples of happy, helpful, big book thumpers, but this efficacy is not proof that multiple pathways do not work. From academic studies from SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, in 2009, they concluded that of all those who experience the lifelong substance dependency, 58% will achieve stable recovery. Another more conservative account, uh, William White, 2012, his number was just over 50% of all people trying for recovery will achieve long-term recovery. Those who reach five years of abstinence, they decrease their risk of relapse from 50 to 70% in the first year to less than 15% by reaching the five years of continuous sobriety mark. We know that trying AA works for many. We do not have absolute evidence that it's the steps, the meetings, or God 
that sobers us up. If there be gods, I don't have to believe in them for them to intervene in my life. And we do see that other non-12-step peer-to-peer groups also work. Here's an AA statistic that is borne out to be true from biographical research on the early members. And it's this 75% success rate. The first edition of Alcoholics Anonymous has 28 alcoholic stories and one Al-Anon story. 29 stories in all, 28 alcoholics. Now of those 28 alcoholics, how did they fare? Sure enough, 14 of those 28 stories never drank after writing their story. Seven of them, 25%, relapsed, but eventually got and stayed sober and died sober. And the other seven went back to drinking and never found lasting sobriety. So there's your 50% plus 25% equals 75% success rate. But for fundamentalists, what has to be considered is these stories this case study of these first 28 members, these stories were all written before there was a book, before there were 12 steps. It even seems, according to what we know about history now, even before that mythical six-step program that preceded a 12-step program, that may be just a, a tall tale, AA folklore. So none of these alcoholics who wrote their stories had seen the 12 steps until after they wrote their stories. (laughs) We learned this from primary documentary research, the most recent of which was from William Shaberg in his 2019 writing the big book, The Creation of AA. There's no reference to 12 or even these six mythical steps anywhere in the first stories, with the possible exception, using your imagination in the final draft of Bill W.'s own story. And here we can identify eight or nine or 10 of these 12 fundamental practices that are more true to present day AA, thanks to the by the book phenomena that's happened in the last 40 years, So it's more true of today's AA than it was of those original founders. AA worked quite differently in the first 10 years than it has in the last 40. Like a placebo, truth or myth, present-day members who give themselves completely to the fundamentalist pedagogy find more hope and confidence. The more they buy in, the more hope they get and the better success they have. What's the harm if it's a myth that provides individuals with a sense of meaning in life and it relieves them from distress and uncertainty, for those who are helped anyway? But a fundamentalist weaponization of our way or the highway, disparaging other approaches, this frustrates attempts to offer a more secular or a more contemporary or a more humanist, you know, or a 21st century approach to recovery. Now let's look at precept number four. 
people who follow the steps exactly as described in the book Alcoholics Anonymous have a special relationship with God. Again, orthodoxy good, fundamentalism bad. Describing oneself as saved, recovered, one with God, talking like a parrot, blabbing big book quotes, no problem. Not good is when zealotry presents as A, anti-intellectualism, B, anti-secular AA, three, efforts to block new literature, and four, accusing any modernization as watered-down AA instead of a yes-and approach. Big book quoting and adoration will comfort some and disturb others. Some passages in the big book are more hyperbolic than humble, more exclusive than inclusive, and more manic than emotionally sober. Uh, here's something from Into Action. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. If we have carefully followed directions, we have begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. To some extent, we have become God-conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense. A sixth sense? Well, this would be an example, I suppose, and there are others in the big book, of claiming a special relationship with God, being elevated or in good with the almighty status, which is part of precept number four. So seek God's will, if that's how your worldview goes, but must carry the vision of God's will our folklore is that Bill W. had a special relationship with the all-powerful God, and in his enthusiasm as a new author, he promises we will too. That's why many parrot the words of this big book, like it's a secret incantation of God consciousness. The point I was starting to make is there must be a payoff to a fundamentalist approach. And I'm just looking at ways that that would likely be so. We're escape artists as addicts. We want to escape uncertainty, and that's understandable. Another way to look at this is to see fundamentalism as a version of faith rooted in fear. Fear of error, choice, doubt, and mystery. Should we fear making mistakes, having to choose without a written guarantee, being ambivalent, or living in a story of our life in which the last chapter has not yet been written? I think it's healthier to recognize our incompleteness, personally. We can make peace with our individual humanity or try to transcend it, which would you deem as being emotional sobriety. Here's what uh, Maria Hornbacker said. We learn to accept that we may never know. When we question, we learn to accept that there may be no answer. 
when we shout our doubts out into the universe, we learn to accept that we may be met with a silence that we do not know how to read. That was from the 2011 Waiting a Non-Believer's Higher Power. Now, is Hornbacker wiser than Wilson? Yeah, how could she not be? Born a few years after the founder died, Maria Hornbacker was sober more years than any 1939 AA member had known. The collective wealth of recovery wisdom of the ages, including in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, was limited. How could any modern 21st century voice of recovery not have something additive to offer to the addiction recovery discussion? Fundamentalism in AA holds the same four precepts of any manic state, feeling closer to God, a change-resistant glorification of the past, identifying evil for potential threats, and a primacy of one way of talking, seeing, believing, and behaving. Is this how recovery the right way looks? Afraid, hostile, and dogmatic? Or are feelings and impulses uh, just a manifestation of our call them maladaptive, addictive tendencies? In waiting new millennial sobriety, gods are not needed to dispel doubt and uncertainty because doubt and uncertainty are not barriers to recovery or self-esteem. So in the Great Britain Report, two-thirds of members are secular, esprit de corps, power of the rooms, the power of the process. One-third still literally agree with the God-consciousness approach. A special relationship with God does work to keep people sober. A special relationship with reality works just as well. Why fear doubt and uncertainty if the only thing to fear is fear itself? So, recovery, discovery, and rediscovery. This recent 2020 membership survey addresses a, an elephant in the room. Like most of society in the developed world, most AAs do not believe in an anthropomorphic higher power. A third do respect. Two-thirds do not respect. It turns out that AA is a microcosm of the pluralist society just outside our rooms that supports secularism and also a variety of theologies. Today, uh, many paths to relief from alcoholism or alcohol use disorder, if you prefer, is identified in our survey of fellow members of AA. AA works if you believe in a God. AA works with a practical humanist approach too. <sighs> November 28, 1963, President Lyndon B. Johnson gave a Thanksgiving address to a nation who had lost their leader, Johnson's former boss. 
LBJ said to a nation of believers that the divine why of what happens is not in America's grasp, but that the human duty to determine what is to be, a great leader is dead, a great nation must move on. Yesterday is not ours to recover, but tomorrow is ours to win or lose. Thank you, LBJ. Let's keep this conversation going. Call bullshit. Chime in. Love to hear from you. I think we should keep uh, digging for answers. Take more of the mystery of why AA works out. Let's ask more of AAs what they really believe. Who's worked the steps? Who started but never completed them? Who never paid any attention to them? Would it not be better to know than to assume these things? Maybe it's service that keeps people sober. Maybe it's fellowship that keeps, keeps us going. Maybe it's our own empowerment. Truth will not break any magic spell that is keeping the 12-step community going. They say, uh, what? They say truth will set us free. Maybe it will help make us more effective also. There's a lot more to the 2020 survey than the few points I've brought out here. I hope I'll have time to do another podcast about it. It's so great, but jump ahead, grab it from the website, have a look yourself and let me know what you think. We're done, almost done. Now, last time my home group met face-to-face in the U of T, I went from there to Lee's Palace. It was March 14th. 2020 in the pre-COVID era. It's on Bloor Street. A band called Ape, A Primitive Evolution, was playing. An indie can radio favorite. And that's from our Sirius XM and college radio days. Anyway, they had On playing with them. Sulfur, a band from the UK, was visiting. And Phantom High, also from Toronto, Now, Lucy, Steve, and Dan, I haven't talked to them since their road trip in August, but they were introducing some of that music to us back in uh, March 14th, 2020. So On is described as a power trio exploring its roots in post-punk art rock founded by Lucy DeSantos on bass and vocals, Steve Fall from Toronto, on guitar, and Dan Cornelius on drums from New York City from their sophomore indie release. Let's listen to a song that's perfect for our radio station. On Rebellion Dogs Radio, we're going to hear Underdog. Look them up on SoundCloud or visit onmusic.ca for show notes, contact information, etc., Rebellion Dogs Publishing. Maybe see you on Zoom sometime soon.